Welcome to Hard Beautiful Journey. This is a podcast about addictions, mental health, and unresolved trauma. Do you want to feel less alone and more supported on the addiction journey you never thought you would be on? Do you find yourself asking questions such as, how can I help my loved one overcome their addiction? And am I doing enough? Do you wake up afraid that today will be the day your loved one overdoses and passes away? Hey, I'm Tiffany. I too felt helpless and wished that I could do more to help my brother who was struggling with addiction and mental health. I wanted him to find the help he needed and turn his life around, but I kept telling myself, it's too hard to beat this, there are not enough resources, and I'm not a professional, so what else can I do? I felt alone until I found hope through community, and I want to help you do the same. In this podcast, you will find community, hope, and resources to support your loved one through their addiction, and most importantly, support you. So grab a seat, get your earbuds in, and let's take this hard, beautiful journey together. Hello, my beautiful listeners. Thank you so much for being here today for this episode, because wow, it is a good one. Holy smokes. My guest today is Erin Huey, who is the founder of Parenting Teens That Struggle and the host of the number one parenting podcast, Beyond Risk and Back, which is Mental Health News Radio Network's highest rated show internationally. He is also a family consultant, a teen coach, and an addiction interventionist, and facilitates powerful parenting events, and is a very happy husband and father of two young adults. Aaron is an internationally known lecturer on archetypal imagery, body language, and martial arts, and the founder and president of Fire Mountain Programs. And since 2004, has run kids camps, teen camps, and family programming. In 2009, he and his wife, Christine, opened a residential mental health and dependency recovery treatment center for teens ages 12 to 17 in Colorado. Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center was in 2019 named one of the top 50 healthcare providers in the United States and in 2020 named one of the top 100 innovators in healthcare. His new online parenting masterclass has just been awarded a telly. He is also the founder of Safe Dojo, a martial arts instructor certification course to work and teach children with trauma. Safe Dojo is sponsored by the U.S. Martial Arts Hall of Fame. 23 years in personal addiction recovery, Aaron is also very ADHD, and it is his superpower. So yeah, as you can see, this is why I needed to have a chat with Aaron, and it's my wish that every person hearing this interview walks away with one thing in particular, hope. Without further ado, here is my interview with Aaron. Hey, Aaron, how are you today? Doing great, Tiffany. Thank you so much. I am really, 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 really looking forward to talking with you today. We have been trying to get together to talk for quite a while, um, but our schedules just were not mixing. I have so much to ask you, so much. 
And I have so many things I want your thoughts on. As I said in my intro, you have a ton of experience dealing with parents of teens that struggle. Teens in recovery from trauma, anxiety, depression, mental health, and parents of teens with ADHD. Yeah. And you yourself also have ADHD. Extreme ADHD. Okay, Aaron. It's like literally the angels (laughs) sent you (laughs) from heaven. (laughs) I kid you not, because all three of our kids are ADHD and my husband is as well. And one of them is a teenage girl. And holy smokes. Yeah, I need you. (laughs) You must have such a tremendous amount of patience, but I have to wonder what childhood relationship you are trying to reconcile through surrounding yourself with so many people with ADHD. Did you have a mom or a dad uh, ADHD? I don't believe I did, but I have been really searching and wondering if (laughs) if I did. And just so you know, we have three dogs as well. And I'm pretty sure that two of them have it as well. And the one that doesn't, me and her are tight. (laughs) We are tight. We go on a lot of walks together because, wow. But like you have said in your bio, and if you hear my podcast from season one. I did two whole episodes on it, on ADHD. It is your superpower. It is. And until I actually learned more about it and really understood the benefits of it, like it was very, very hard, but now I can see the benefits of it for sure, but it does not make it any easier on the day-to-day Um, but now we're into the teen years and things are getting real. So I just want to say quickly that first and foremost, it's hard to see it as a superpower because it's painted upon us like a death sentence. Yeah. That's the first thing we have to get past is the idea that this could be anything, but, oh my God, this is happening to my family. And My mom and dad were really good about that. And I have to say the superpower framing came from them. And they weren't outwardly saying, hey, kiddo, this is your superpower. They just was like, hey, coach, he should be the goalie. (laughs) So (laughs) put him in front of the net. (laughs) I'm laughing for a very specific reason. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We have two goalies in our family or ones that like to hang out by the goalie and communicate with the goalie. Yeah. Yeah. So that is very accurate. How did you get to where you are today? Let's hear a bit about your story and how you got to helping parents and teens that struggle. Well, it all started by being abandoned by my biological father, completely and totally. Not a weekend dad, not a summer dad, a never dad. My mom did meet an incredible human being who became my daddy and raised me as his own. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And he taught me how to be a good bonus father. So I am a bonus father to my son. But the experience of beginning there, beginning with this primal wound, this gaping hole that cannot be filled, that is one of the essences to look at when you're saying, okay, my teen's struggling, my child's struggling. Where's the hole that they're trying to fill? Start there. 
And, and even if you want to go deeper than that, if you really want to do the deep therapy work, what hole are you trying to fill through needing your child to be a certain way other than what they are presenting as? But we'll get to that, mom and dad. It starts with that hole in my soul of how could he not contact From there, it led to a lot of bullying and growing up as a child of the 70s. Bullying was much different now than it was then. It also is much more extreme. We certainly didn't live under the threat of school violence. Like the school violence I grew up with was much different than the threats Mm -hmm. that the children of today live with. And that's something very important for parents to understand. But I was bullied mercilessly. I have addiction in my genetics. And so I naturally gravitated there, especially after I was sexually assaulted at the age of 18 by my best friend. Mm-hmm. So the, I had four of the four A's, addiction, assault, abandonment, and abuse. Mm-hmm. So that's, again, I would encourage every parent to take the ACE quiz, Adverse Childhood Experiences. It's free. It's 10 questions. You can take it for your children. You can take it for yourself. Go look at the markers. The signposts are there. I had a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So when I found cannabis, I found, oh, when I'm high, I'm happy. And when I'm sober, I'm suicidal. Well, guess I'll be high because I didn't want to die. And I spent a lot of my young adulthood from age 17 and a half to the age of 28, as high as I could get. Cannabis, LSD, and alcohol were my drugs of choice. I never did anything harder than that. And I'm using air quotes with harder because I acted like a junkie. Hmm. So whether or not cannabis is addictive is irrelevant to me. I acted like a junkie. And therein is another cue and clue for parents who think their children might be addicts and then are wondering whether or not the substance or the thing they are doing is addictive. Video games, self-harm, suicidality, depression, anxiety, mayonnaise, cannabis, porn. It doesn't matter. What matters is what's the human doing with the thing, Mm -hmm. not is the thing addictive. Of course, some things are, but we are human beings. I have worked with children who act like junkies around razor blades. But we know razor blades aren't addictive. So, why is self harm? Why does it follow the exact same criteria as the addiction cycle? The exact same. Um, Why do video games? Why is there only one component of a video game that actually stimulates the addictive part of the brain? Yet, when I talk to children, my clients, especially the young boys who are addicted to video games, they can name 30 reasons why they would rather be there than school, the dinner table, doing homework or at a friend's house. So maybe it's not the thing. Maybe we got to start dealing with the human being again. And when I got sober in 1998, I worked for a really awesome guy who, when I told him I was an addict, he says, I want you to still work with me. And a couple of years later, I became the assistant director of his company, which was a kid's camp. And that kept propelling. Then I opened a martial arts school, then after school programs, then weekend events, then summer camps, then teen rite of passage program and teen empowerment camps. And then a parent said, can my kid just come live with you? And being very serious because the kid was struggling with heroin. Mm -hmm. My wife and I said, yes. She told her sister who told a friend. And a week later, we had six boys living in our home and four on a wait list. And my wife and I were like, 
okay. Wow. This is a calling. This is like, yeah. not we're on to something. Oh, we're doing this now. I have um, full body goosebumps, Aaron. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It really exploded outward from just having a true human desire to do that 12th step, which is take the message of hope to someone who still suffers. Yeah. And we were doing that for families. And that turned into us, my wife and I running one of the top ranked adolescent residential treatment centers in the U.S. until last August, where we were shut down by property insurance. Because of the fires that we had in Colorado, our property insurance went from $20,000 a year to $470,000 a year, and it killed my business. So, Are you kidding? Oh my yeah, goodness. No. We shut down in uh, September, announced in August and shut down in September. So I have fully dedicated now knowing that mental health and residential health for teenagers is completely under attack from every angle, politics, insurance, and now even property insurance. Nobody wants the risk of working with these teens. So I am turning my sights and eyes to the parents to say, okay, it's us now. And it always should have been, but right now it's us. We've got to keep kids out of treatment facilities because treatment is inconsistent. And even being one of the best facilities in the US, there's no guarantees. And mm -hmm. treatments, traditional 28 day treatment for an adolescent has an 89% failure rate. 89%. And that's the best we can do in 2022. We have to do better. And so we have to start with the parents now because children aren't broken. The system has failed children. The education system, the political system, the religious system, the, the parent system, the social system, it, it's all none of it's working. We know it. We want to place blame. But instead of blaming, it's going to start with the parents. I hate mm -hmm. saying that, mm -hmm. but it's true. A child in recovery can't recover in a home that hasn't recovered. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about some of those things that you do with parents to yes. to work with them instead of having the teens go into these systems that aren't working. Yeah, the first thing is we've got to get the parents to quit reacting to the results. That's like yelling at an apple tree that the apples are red when we've always wanted oranges. That's a roots issue. So Beneath the results, I want parents to start looking at it this way, is it's results come from actions, actions come from feelings, feelings come from thoughts, thoughts come from experiences, and experiences come from prime influence. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to do the deep work for kids who are struggling, we got to go to prime influence, and that's mom and dad, or just mom, or just dad. It's got to go to whoever is supposed to be in charge of the household. And I say supposed because every parent I get, bless every single one of your hearts. And I want to make sure I say for the record, I'm a parent too. My kids are 26 and 27 now. And I know what it's like. I was that kid and I raised two teens, both who struggled. So we've got to come away from reacting to the results my kid got kicked out of school. My kid smoking cannabis. My kid self-harming. Yes, those are terrifying things to experience. But those are not the issues. Those are the results of the issues. And that is really easy to say and hard to do when you're giving all your love, your time, your energy, your sleep, your eating habits. You're giving everything back to your child. 
And then you get a call from the principal's office. They were caught cutting in the bathroom. And where else? How many more times can you go to an acute unit or go to the emergency room and have the social worker there say, well, they're not suicidal, so you can take them home? Like, those are results. So we have to track inwards or under the waterline on an iceberg. What we can see on the iceberg above the waterline, that's not the biggest amount of mass. It's what's underneath. And in fact, under there where it's cold, dark, and pure, you're going to find the truth. And so that's, that's very clearly number one. And it's hard. Yeah. Well, because it, it means actually facing the truth and dealing with it, right? Yeah. Instead of burying it, which a lot of people tend to do because they're scared of the work or they're scared of what they're going to find out. Well, and let's, let's be clear. The work sucks. The work like it sucks. Oh ass. my God. <laughs> the moment, I mean, right at the beginning where I was telling you I was abandoned, like I'm 52 years old and I start welling up. I've mm-hmm. processed this thing how many times? And I was on a call three weeks ago with 30 people from all over the world people who are training to be parent coaches. And I say the words, why didn't he ever call me? And I lost it. I am 52 years old. How much longer am I going to lose it? Well, see, that's the thing is that covering it up, you think it's not there. Mm -hmm. But these are things we don't get over. Trauma, we don't get over trauma. We get on with it. We don't get over the loss of a parent or a child. We learn how to live with it. You don't get over abandonment and abuse and addiction and being assaulted. You Mm -hmm. learn how to live with it. The trigger is not the thing you got to fix. The trigger is the sign that the thing still needs work. Mm -hmm. right? We focus on the triggers. That triggers me. That triggers me. Everything triggers me. This conversation triggers me because I'm talking about my absent biological father, Mm -hmm. but the focus can't be on the trigger. The focus has to be on Aaron. It has to be the arrogant work of recovery. Mm -hmm. It has to be arrogant, very arrogant, (laughs) right? He's dead. My -hmm. biological father's dead. What could he do for me now? Mm Mm-hmm. So we have to focus on what still lives, what still is existing. And what exists is the hurt, the pain, the loss, the sense of, why wasn't I ever enough? Am I now? How about now? What about now? And that's the work. And it's forever. I'm coming up on 24 years of sobriety now. Congrats. Like, that's huge. That's Thanks. huge. And I want to get high <laughs> because I'm an addict. Mm-hmm. And it's not something you just get over. I live in Boulder, Colorado. I walk out the street and I smell my drug of choice everywhere. People come to Boulder as a tourist and I got to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And they smell. Y'all smell. You're, you get high and you smell. Mm-hmm. And I can smell you. And it makes me want to get high. Makes me want to get high. See, that's the work, right? Mm-hmm. That's the trigger. You make me. No, they don't. Still inside. I have an addict that just wants to be happy mm-hmm. and not suicidal. Because everybody wants to be loved and happy ultimately, yeah. right? Tiffany, that's the perfect segue because the second thing that parents have to focus on is what the need actually is, right? And their safety, power, connection, freedom, and worth. Those are the five basic human needs. And those are in developmental order. 
Safety develops in the womb. Power is at the 18-month mark, right? The terrible twos. (laughs) Connection is the seven years old to like 18 years old. Freedom is 18 and up. And then worth is the rest of our lives. Now, why those are in developmental order, they're also all permanent. If safety doesn't develop, tell me what else can develop. And that's what happened during COVID, right? Safety was removed for the whole planet, whether you agreed with it or not. If you were arguing with someone about a mask or no, your safety was being threatened. You felt your freedom was being threatened. And if your freedom's threatened, your safety must be threatened. Safety, power, connection, freedom, and worth. I would ask kids and have for the, the last 11 years, why do you smoke? Why do you smoke cigarettes? You know, your parents know, every cartoon you've ever watched has told you so. Every poster on your school wall since you were in preschool says, don't smoke. So why'd you smoke? And the kids for 11 years told me the same thing. Well, I get to take a break. I go outside and I hang with my friends. Tiffany, if you came to me and said, okay, this ADHD family, Aaron, is driving me up the wall. I need help. I'm going to pull my hair out, at least what's left, and I'm going to lose it. I'm going to only have one kid tomorrow if I don't get some help right now. And I would say, Tiffany, I need you to take a break. I need you to go outside. I need you to get with a support group. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Let's add good conscious breathing to it. Well, didn't I just describe smoking? Yeah, you pretty much did. <laughs> yeah, support healthy group. Healthy smoking. No smoking, healthy smoking just breathing. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so what is the need that the child is fulfilling by smoking? Well, taking a break, that's freedom and potentially safety. Uh, going outside, that's uh, freedom and potentially safety. And maybe connection to something else, something bigger. There's the group. So that's connection. I'm facilitating basic human need by smoking the most deadly poison on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I told you already, when I was high, I was happy. When I was sober, I was suicidal. Being sober threatened all of my human needs. So Mm -hmm. why not be high? It was easy. And it was better than killing myself. I had a lot of people telling me, you know, you should, you should be sober. You got a daughter, you got a wife, got a job. Well, at least you did last week. And the response was, if I'm sober, I'm ready to die because I can't face what's happened, what I've done, Mm -hmm. what's happened to me. Mm -hmm. So that's number two is what's the need being met by the action? Self-harm? No, don't tell me there's nothing. Don't tell me there's no payoff to carving up your own arms. If there was no payoff, they wouldn't do it. Find the payoff. It's not bad attitude. It could be freedom. It's not bad choices. It could be safety. Because I know that when kids cut, when I work with clients and the kid is saying, I cut, I always have one question. Do you cut because you're full or do you cut because you're empty? And it's the first time they ever hear that question. And they go, huh, little of both, I guess. And they say, tell me what full's like. And they do. It sounds like anxiety. Say, tell me what empty's like. Guess what that sounds like. So... I have not, sorry, I have full body goosebumps. I'm not kidding you right now. Like, are you full or empty? Wow. Wow. Sorry. I'm just thinking of my brother right now as you're talking about this. And that is a powerful question. Yeah. Go on. (laughs) Nothing is nothing. Everything is designed to meet a need. Everything we do as humans, 
is to facilitate the meeting of a need. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the key to why this is number two. Number one, remember, is to pull away from the results. The results are not the problem. They're the results of the problem. Number two is to figure out how, and this is going to sound nuts, but how this action is actually facilitating basic human necessity, safety, power, connection, freedom, worth. But here's the kicker. The moment you've done those first two things, you are no longer in survival parenting. You are actually back in your prefrontal cortex and you're acting and thinking like an adult. You're not in survival. You're not in fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, and feed, which is the only thing a lizard, the lizard brain, the limbic brain can do. Fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, and feed. Your spaceship has come back to auxiliary power. We're not just on life support anymore. And so the, that's the goal. Your kid acts out, they cut, they're in ADHD overload, they're self-centered, borderline narcissistic or borderline personality disorder or bipolar, you know, like every teenager and you're losing your mind. Well, the cure is to find it because you can't lose it. Your kids have already lost it. Mm-hmm. And if you lose it too, they will do what a dog would do. And that's take over the house because mm-hmm. they got to create safety. So when I have a parent call me and say, I've lost control of my house. I have my five basic things to start with. How's your sleep? How's your food intake? How much water are you drinking during a day? Are you moving your body? And are you breathing on purpose? Sleep, movement, breathing on purpose, eating and drinking water because without any one of those five things, the other four will domino Mm -hmm. and you will be in survival mode. You will. If you skip breakfast, if you don't go to the gym, yoga class, swimming, take the dogs for a walk to move your body, you are deliberately undermining your brain's capacity for full adult thought. So here we are. 25 minutes in, I've not stopped talking because I'm so ADHD, but you asked, what do I do with parents? And it's those three things first, because there's a thousand tools, tricks, tactics, and techniques you can use. None of them will work if your self-care is shit. Not one. MVE, NVC, we're going to use the go that way strategy. We're going to use the front load strategy. We're going to none. It will all fail. Love and logic and all of it. It will all fail mm-hmm. if you don't take care of yourself first. And you know what, Aaron, I'm a thousand percent in agreement with you a thousand because from 2016 to 2018, I was in more than survival mode. I was like in, like I was hiding behind the clothes in my closet, figuring out how I I was going to leave my life because I was done. I was so done. I was hiding from my kids behind the clothes in my closet and I reached out for help and I put on my oxygen mask and I said, enough is enough. And since 2018, I have focused on myself a lot more than I ever have. And I know it's making a difference in my parenting. It's in those moments where like, there's just days like today, like it was a hard day. 
but I always go back to my tools for self-care. And that is like you said, going for a walk for me, it's listening or watching a funny video and laughing. Like as soon as I laugh, that's my place of joy. And it immediately brings me back to a place that I feel better. And I breathe. Dr. Patch Adams was one of my first mentors. And for any of the parents who don't know who Dr. Patch Adams is, the movie by Robin Williams got a lot of acclaim. I met Dr. Patch Adams when he came to the hospital that my dad, the man who raised me, ran. Uh, And watching this guy talk about not just that laughter, you know, makes you feel good, Mm -hmm. but then the science behind it. What happens to the molecules in your body? Your breathing changes. The visceral right now, here, now, right now, here that you have when you are left, bringing you back to the moment with deep breathing and smiling. And the experience of this man was such a, a spiritual turn on that I absolutely do the same. It's the funny videos. It's the soldiers coming home Mm -hmm. videos, or it's the dog rescue videos for me. I will watch something that restores me, my faith, my time, my sanity, whatever. Those are all byproduct results of taking a moment for you in the middle of all the crap and say, where am I? Who am I? Why am I? What am I being? right now. And even if you get nowhere fast with that, at least that one moment is something you didn't take yesterday. And if you took it today, that means that you have begun a process of your recovery. And I will tell you, no child recovers in a home that hasn't recovered. Mm -hmm. I can do my best work with a teenager. And and we can go way out of the box. I take the teens up into the woods. We throw axes, spears. We go inside wolf enclosures at a wolf sanctuary and have the teens sit there and center themselves until the wolves go, yeah, I'm going to come up and eat out of your hand. Wolves come up and eat out of our hands. But if they go home to an environment that is not facilitating Mm -hmm. self-care, that is in a constant state of reaction to result, going to lose it. If you speak Spanish at home and you spend all day learning French, when you go back home and nobody else knows French, what you're going to speak. And what I need to tell parents from the bottom of my heart, and again, I understand that you are yet again being asked to do the brunt of the work first. And that is true. But I will tell you that your best parenting from survival parenting, your best survival parenting, is your worst parenting Mm -hmm. and your worst parenting from your best prefrontal cortex, logical, loving space is your best parenting. You cannot do for others until you do for yourself. You use the oxygen mask. What I loved, you know, because we hear that put on your own oxygen mask first. I heard a monk say, how can you give anybody a drink from your empty cup? And that one stuck on me. Mm If I'm going to give my children anything better than my worst, then I've got to not be there. I've got to move forward from my worst. And it's counterintuitive because we think we have to react. My kid's cutting, my kid's using, my kid's running away, my kid stole the car, my kid called Child Protective Services, told him a lie, and now I'm being investigated. 
then that's the time to go to yoga class. Yes. That's mm-hmm. the time to hit your knees out in the backyard and pray and listen to chant music and scream until the neighbors go. They're just laying in the backyard screaming. I wonder if they're okay. But if you're doing for you first, then whatever you do for them second is going to be better than your worst. And it's and not selfish. A lot of parents, they start out thinking that it's selfish or they continue to think that it's selfish and the kids come first, always, always, always. And I call bullshit and I call bullshit because I know it and I've lived it. And I know the difference between my parenting when I wasn't taking care of myself first and now. You know, it's interesting because I have heard the kids comes first in the mental health business from parents now for almost 20 years. And I'm listening to you say it, and you said it in such a way that I realize it's not just about calling bullshit. It's absolutely not real. There is no such thing as putting your kids first, because even if you're doing that, even if you think that putting your kids first is at the core of your value system, that's still putting your value system first, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's not even real. That's not a real concept, and it's not a real statement. What is real is Believing in your values, dictating that you have to sacrifice your own safety, power, connection, freedom, and worth so that they get their immediate needs met. And yeah, it feels selfish. It really does. But mom and dad, there's a difference between being self-centered and being centered in yourself. Oh, and when you say are that cent- one more time, <laughs> say that one more time. There is a difference between being self-centered and being centered in yourself. When COVID hit, my personal work, my personal growth and development had gotten to a point where I looked outside my window and I said, you know what? I don't trust any of you, but I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Now, that's kind of self-centered, but let me be clear. I've had a hard time trusting anybody my whole life. Mm -hmm. My hobbies are outdoor survival, emergency medicine, and martial arts. What do you think is going to happen, Aaron? Well, nothing. I'll be fine. Like, So I've always had a hard time trusting people. So when COVID hit, I looked out and I said, none of you all are going to have my needs primary. You will have society's needs primary or your version of it, but that may or may not fit with mine. So I'm going to do for me. And from that place, I then looked and said, I have to wear a mask because I'm surrounded by other people's children and I could not live with myself if I made one of them sick because I'm here to heal. Mm -hmm. And then it just expanded out, but it started with what's for me, what's me now, where's Aaron? Mm -hmm. I've always been accused of being selfish, but everybody with ADHD is because Let's be clear, Tiffany, you have your voice in my head and my voice in my head and my voice is louder, talking faster and more constant than yours. And I'm used to listening to it. So that's what you're competing with. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's like being in my head is that there's a conversation with Aaron going on 24-7. Wow, that just put things into perspective (laughs) for my, my children. And like, I know this. I know this from everything that I've learned, but it, it's really refreshing to have these reminders that this is actually what's going on in an ADHD brain, um, that it's constant. It's constant, right? For the and most I part. Read, yeah. Well, 4 a.m. this morning, I woke up like this. 
and it was, I mean, a million miles an hour. The moment I opened my eyes, I was like, I'm up. Mm-hmm. And it's it's exhausting. It's frustrating. It's tiring. I don't want to wake my wife up. I got to get out of bed quietly. I got to shut the door quietly. And then I've got to do something like doom scroll or hope scroll, depending on my mood. I've got to listen to music and headphones. I've got to do something because otherwise I'm going to make noise. Can I read something about ADHD? Absolutely. Yeah. This is something that on my Facebook page, I wrote this to parents who are, because it's hard to explain to parents of kids who are ADHD what it's like. So I wrote this a couple of months ago and I've been posting it on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, dear mom, dad, teachers, coaches, clinicians, and my children, I am listening to you. I'm just not looking at you or standing still or focusing or listening to you. I was asked on a podcast about ADHD once, what does being ADHD mean to you? And I responded, it means that I'm not you. It means I don't prioritize what I think about. It means that inside my head, it's heavy metal flamenco dancing screen therapy 24-7 all of the time. It means my voice is loudest and constant, and I'm talking to myself loudly, nonstop in my head. Listening to you and me isn't easy. It means that this isn't about you at all. My hypervigilance is a byproduct of wanting to fit in so badly, and I don't. It's also exhausting. It means that my true friends and family are patient and amazing. It means that my parents have to let go of how things should be and teach me how to embrace this as a gift. It means I don't sleep well. It means that while we were driving, I saw everything you saw, plus everything you didn't, plus a coyote, two hawks, and a police car with a person in the back wearing a blue baseball cap, and they were crying. But I won't remember any of this tomorrow. It means that I'm designed for the battle, the adventure, the chaos, and the emergency, not the math test. I'm not dumb. I'm diffused. I'm not arrogant. I'm terrified of being unloved. I'm not procrastinating. Never that. I'm just doing six things while you do one. And by the gods, when I go into the hyper-focus mode, leave me alone because I'm about to create miracles unless you pull my focus, which, as you know, is really easy to do. I'm a future entrepreneur, a nurse, a teacher, a cop, a mentor, a therapist, a firefighter, a musician, an actor, a small farmer. I'll be highly literate, but you may never see me read. I'll be acutely aware of others and my environment, but only for a moment. Please remember, there are a million moments. I've moved on to the next one. If you're going to be my teacher, you better be good, entertaining, and understand that I am listening while I'm standing around dancing. Keep me engaged by asking me questions, asking me to defend my answers, and do what other teachers don't do. Make me feel smart. Believe in me and love me until I can do that for myself and then move aside. Never ask me to calm down. I am God's caffeine buzz. If you need quiet, go be a monk. The video games and chaotic music, yep, that's what my brain sounds like. Do you know I can listen to every instrument? I can tune them in and out like a soundboard, unless I'm bored. I'm trying to be like you in a world that can't handle people like me. And that's not easy. And most of all, I'm sorry. I know I'm really a lot of person to be with. Everyone has told me so. So I am sorry. P.S. I should play goalie and do martial arts, not yoga and not meditation. P.P.S. I'm not you.
Oh, um, I'm just trying not to ugly cry right now. Holy smokes. Like, yeah, I'm really trying not to ugly cry because. Okay. I'm posting that. Can you? Uh, oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm rarely speechless, but that. I don't even know what to say right now. I also have to say it took 52 years to be able to put that in writing. It's, it's hard to explain this. It's hard. Now I'm crying. <laughs> I had a mom write back and said, you shouldn't apologize. You know, apologizing isn't going to change who I am. And that's another hard thing for people who are not neurodivergent to coin the new non-triggering phrase. But I have to apologize because other people and how they feel, it's important to me. And so I am sorry that, that this comes off as arrogance, that all I am thinking about is the voice in my head, because I know that my wife wants my, my energy. And I know my daughter wants my focus and my attention and that my son needs my support. And so much of what I give them has to do with my experience of whatever I was just thinking about. That's the only thing I have is my experience. And I'm so, you can't tell me I'm not focusing on you because I'm focusing on all of you. I'm focusing on all of everybody. I can see the shadows on my wall moving because of what's going on outside my window. And I can tell whether it's a male or a female walking by my window. That's ridiculous hypervigilance. And that hypervigilance, the only way to get it to shut up, this brain that everybody was telling me wasn't working, the only way I could get it to slow down to everybody else's speed was to get high. And then I got rejected there too. I got scolded for being there too. This is why it's so important for parents to extend beyond your experience. And it's, it's so unfair to ask. Because addicts are so selfish. People with mental health issues pull the entire family into this whirlpool of me, 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 me. Then they become the patient of the whole family and they don't want to be. I never wanted to be the black sheep. I think I signed up for that shit. But at the end of the day, it's funny, Tiffany, because thinking of your situation, you're the black sheep of your family. <laughs> I am. <laughs> You're the odd one out there. I am. <laughs> oh, my God, Aaron. Oh, this is a gift. Remember when I said the angel sent you to me? <laughs> they sent more than an angel. Like, this is helping me understand all of the people in my family. And that is amazing. So I'm really grateful for that. I could talk to you all day (laughs) and now I'm crying, but you put something in your email to me when you were booking and I loved it and I want to say it. The wound is the way, the pain is the path, the tears is the trail, the wreckage is the resume, how to take the disaster and turn yourself into the master. That is what you help people do, parents do, right? What else do you have when your kid gets the death sentence diagnosis? Oh, they're bipolar, borderline, ADHD. You get a 
hackles on your neck go back up and you go through your kid's old keepsake box that they've had since they were four and there's eight bags of pills in there or you notice cuts on the inside of your kid's thigh. What else are you going to do with this? Mm. I want every parent to watch a video called How Diablo Became Spirit. And it is, the, it is a YouTube video of a Black Panther who was rescued and they almost had to put him down until they brought in an animal psychic. And the guy who ran the big cat rescue did not believe in animal psychics. And that's not the point of this. The point is that all of a sudden, after 15 minutes with this Black Panther, who had put a person in a hospital for two weeks, had not come out of its night shelter, all of a sudden, everybody started looking at the animal differently. And they, instead of calling him Diablo, they started calling him Spirit. And he started acting like Spirit. It's such a tall order. And I'm not saying this to placate. I'm saying it because it's true. It's such a tall order to come out of the reactive environment when our children are struggling. And the worse the struggle gets, especially if there's been trauma or, God forbid, a sexual assault or a rape, the whole family has been traumatized. The reason why I brought up Patch Adams is because he said something that changed my life. He said, your grandma doesn't have Alzheimer's family has it. Treat the family. When I work with families, I have a family that I'm working with right now. They just stand out as an example. Where the dad walked into the daughter's bedroom, 15 years old, and she was blue. She was dead. Mm. And he gave her CPR until the paramedics arrived and intubated her. And she's alive. And eight months later, she's back on top. She just went to prom. The parents sent me a picture of all this stuff and on and on. But the parents are still walking wounded. Mm -hmm. So this girl is still living in a household where the parent's daughter died. And getting the daughter and I work together weekly. She's doing amazing. Oh, she's still a pain in the ass teenage girl. And all teenage boys are insane. Have you met them? They're crazy. Mm -hmm. Teenage girls, good Lord. Are you kidding me? They're bonkers. Every last one of them. But when they go to the beyond risk struggles, mm-hmm. the life and limb struggles, the family is now experiencing trauma. You have to treat the family. The kid isn't cutting. The family is self-harming. It's just that the child is speaking the family sickness out loud. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what's taking place. And if we do not, as parents begin to reframe our children's behavior, do we expect them to do it? If we do not, as the adults, try to make sense of this, do we expect a child to do it? If we look at a Black Panther and say, they're just Diablo, do we expect the Black Panther to say, actually, I'm spirit? What name have you given your struggling child? And what name should they have? What's the brightest? My mom, you want to know what name she gave me? And it saved my fucking life. When I met Dr. Patch Adams, I stood in line to get his autograph and I got up to him and I threw myself at him and I jumped in his lap and I kissed this man fully on the lips. And he was the second man I had ever kissed. First one was my dad, the man who raised me. Mm -hmm. And Patch Adams grabbed my face and kissed me right back. 
Mm-hmm. And when I told my mom later that I had kissed Patch Adams on the lips, she said, you're audacious. Oh. That became my name. Yeah. And so all the success I have had in my life came from audacity, not from skill, not from talent, not from good grades. Good Lord, not from good grades. <laughs> but because I don't listen to that voice inside my head that tells me I don't belong or that I'm not smart enough or that I am not lovable, loved and loving. Mm-hmm. I am audacious to believe that I deserve a parade. And you know what? I act like it. And that's where success is coming from. Acting like I'm a good man. And that's it. And it's time for not just parents, but grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers to stop pushing it under the rug and pretending it's not there. Because that doesn't help anybody. No. It's time to embrace it. Embrace it fully, totally, completely, like you would embrace your child. If you found out they had cancer, how would you hold them? Mm -hmm. How would you hug them? How would you take them into your arms? Do the exact same way, even when they're trying to push you away, especially Especially when they're they're trying to push you away. Yeah. And that's hard because the first, the parent has to embrace themselves Mm -hmm. and that's harder. Much harder. Aaron, where can people find you? May I give two free places and one low-cost place? Absolutely. Thank you. On Facebook, I have a free parenting group called Parenting Teens That Struggle. I have almost 3,000 parents on there who are dealing with you name it. And it is a place where I started being the primary source of advice. Now the parents have taken over, and it is incredible to watch. Somebody posts, oh, my God, my 15-year-old ran away. And you get a SWAT team of parents showing up to support you. So I'm so proud of that page. Parenting Teens That Struggle on Facebook. Number two, my podcast, Beyond Risk and Back, is for parents of teenagers who are struggling. It is not an Aaron Rant show. It is where I have interviewed expert after expert in every aspect of child development and adolescent risky choices. The third thing is... I have a parenting masterclass that is extremely affordable. Uh, We've made it very affordable because, well, just won a Telly Award, which we're very excited about. So for right now, it is $36.99. It is at brabapp.com, B-R-A-B for Beyond Risk and Back, brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. And it is a self-paced 56 course parent masterclass that can start with you either if your family's in the red the yellow or the green red being everything's full stop beyond risk behavior uh, the yellow at risk behavior we're pretty concerned it could go bad it could get better or the green things are going good but we know it could be great and so what do we do differently It's a lot of what we talked about, and on top of that, all the tools like I alluded to, front-loading, behavior contracts, go-that-way strategies. It's everything I've ever taught parents in the last 20 years. It's extremely high quality, and we're super excited about it. And it's in December. It's about to get a full-push global promotion. It's under the wire right now, so grab it while you can. That is so awesome. I'm definitely going to be checking that one out and getting it. Thank you. Because. 
we will use that for sure. Thank you. So I end every episode with something I am grateful for. And I had this whole thing that I was going to say that I'm grateful for, but I'm not going to say it because I am so grateful for this conversation with you today. Like I said, I had a hard morning with my kids and this has just reaffirmed things that I need to do as the parent to just make it easier for everybody, not just myself, but for everybody in our family. What are you grateful for today, Aaron? I am grateful that both my son and my daughter in their mid-20s and their ridiculous lame brain shenanigans of millennial entrepreneurship are teaching them more and giving them more experience than I ever could with every lecture oratory or pulpit sermon I could come up with. They are learning so much now that they are out from underneath my teaching. And it just serves to remind me again, it's always been about modeling. It was never about what I was saying Mm -hmm. to my kids and always about how did I make them feel? Did they feel loved? This has been so incredible. I am truly, truly grateful for your time today and I will have all of that information in the show notes where people can find you. And yeah, thank you again. Thank you. I appreciate the time and the opportunity to talk to your audience. Aaron, I honestly can't thank you enough for all of this. Every word of this interview has left an indelible mark on my heart and soul. Truly. The work you are doing in this world is so needed And you and your wife should be proud of everything you do to help kids and parents navigate this world. My key takeaway, and let's be clear, there were many, was there is a difference between being self-centered and being centered in yourself. Please, please, please take care of yourself first and find some time for a moment of joy every day. These two things even on the hardest parenting days, will be a beacon of light for you. If you are interested in being on my podcast to talk about your own hard, beautiful journey, please check out my website at hardbeautifuljourney.com and submit the request form. And also, please be sure and stop by the Hard Beautiful Journey blog, which has all the episodes, including show notes, photos, videos, and where to find the guests I have had on my show. And finally, I would love if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating and review. I love reading these reviews on my show, and yours could be next. Until next time, please be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.